All right. If you have your Bibles, turn them, or your digital Bibles, whatever you're using today, uh, open them back up to 1 Samuel 17. We're going to keep talking about David and Goliath. Now, um, I really, really was uh, personally challenged this last week when, when I was reading into more of David and Goliath, looking at Goliaths in my, lives, in my life, and uh, just, just looking at things like, you know, how, how is the enemy challenging me this time? What, what is the world throwing at me now? And I challenge you guys to, to write down some Goliaths, write down what is coming at you. And I hope that as you do that, you're able to see how God is working in those. And we can use, we can use what God showed us to rebut what the enemy is saying, to show that we are more than what the enemy says we are. We are children of God. And as we look more into David and Goliath, we're going to use the whiteboard here because I want some of your input on this. We unpacked last week some about Goliath and our enemy, um, the, the devil, the world, the things that get thrown at us, and how he, the devil is constantly seeking people to devour. That is his mission. He is there to seek, destroy, and devour you. But this ultimately is not a story about the devil. The Bible is a story about God, his love for us, his deliverance for his people, right? So today I want to spend some time diving into more of the story of this man that God chose in this story and how it relates to us today. So we have David, very well-known Man in scripture, I apologize for my kindergarten handwriting, but that's what we got to have and you got to work with me. So we've got David. Now, I'll ask you guys this. When you think of David, I'm sorry if this is kind of blocked over here. When we have David, shout out some stuff. I'll write down as fast as I can. It may not be legible. I'm sorry. What comes to your mind when you think of David? Tiny. Tiny. Oh, okay. There we go. We got tiny. Brave. Brave. Shepherd, we got a king, all right, anything else jump up about David? Musical, Musical. there we go, did your dad feed you that answer? I saw him whispering in your ear. (laughs) Courageous, all right. Anything else, just forefront, pop to mind, perceptions of David? Sinner, all right. <laughs> Adulterer, thank you for that one, all right. We'll just, we'll just underline that one, right, okay? <laughs> We've got some good things there. We've got some not so good things there. But, you know, there's kind of a flyby, the perceptions of David, right? Um, a well-known character in Scripture. We're obviously talking about David and Goliath, but, I mean, there's David and Bathsheba. There's David and Jonathan, David and Saul. I mean, this, this guy's story is incredible, in scripture of what he does. He was, he was great. He was great. Um, lots of things that, that people say about David. Very much common right here. Other things people say about David. They'll say that scripture refers to him as a man after God's heart. David was a man after God's heart. He's referred to as the greatest king in history. In the midst of the adultery part of it, he was still the greatest king in history. He began as a shepherd boy. He was the youngest of many brothers. This kid had a lot of siblings. I can relate to David in this aspect. <clears throat> we know that David was not a superhero. <clears throat> in the midst of everything that he did, he had no superpowers. He was just a boy. We know that he was human, right? Nothing crazy in the supernatural sense, a tiny shepherd boy, but we do know that he was called by someone great to do great things. This small shepherd boy did something huge. And not only was he called, but we see that when David was called, he replied. He replied and he pursued it. So we're going to jump in together, learn about David, 
First Samuel 17, we're going to start in verse 12 today, and I've got a big passage to read because this is a, kind of the leading up to the fight with Goliath here. So starting in verse, <clears throat> verse 12. Now David was the son of the Ephrathite from Bethlehem of Judah named Jesse. Jesse had eight sons, and during Saul's reign was already an old man. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war. Their names were Eliab, the firstborn, Abinadab, the next, and Shammah, the third. And David was the youngest. The three oldest had followed Saul, but David kept going back and forth from Saul to tend his father's flock in Bethlehem. Every morning and evening for 40 days, the Philistine came forward, took his stand. And this is a reference to last week, Goliath now taunting everybody. One day, Jesse had told his son David, take this half bushel of roasted grain along with these 10 loaves of bread to your brothers and hurry to their camp. Also take these 10 portions of cheese to the field commander. Check on the welfare of your brothers and bring a confirmation from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. So David got up early in the morning, left the flock with someone to keep it, to keep it loaded up, and set out as Jesse had instructed him. And David now was the shepherd and the delivery boy, right? This is what his, his role in life is. He arrived at the perimeter of the camp just as the army was marching out to its battle formation, shouting their battle cry. Israel and the Philistines lined up in battle formation facing each other. David left his supplies in the care of the quartermaster and ran to the battle line. When he arrived, he asked his brothers how they were. While he was speaking with them, suddenly the champion named Goliath, the Philistine from Gath, came forward from the Philistine battle line and shouted his usual words, which David heard. When all the Israelite men saw Goliath, they retreated from him terrified. Can you imagine that? 40 days of lining up, the same man taunting and the same response, everyone running away. This is over a month now of this, this taunting battle, and Israel is still scared. Previously, an Israelite man had declared, do you see this man who keeps coming out? He comes to defy Israel. The king will make the man who kills him very rich and will give him his daughter. The king will also make the household of that man's father exempt from paying taxes in Israel. Who doesn't want that, right? <clears throat> David spoke to the men who were standing with him. What will be done for the man who kills that Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Just who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? The people told him about the offer, concluding, that is what will be done for the man who kills him. David's oldest brother, Eliab, listened as he spoke to the men, and he became angry with him. Typical older brother syndrome, right? Why did you come down here, he asked. Who did you leave those few sheep within the wilderness? I know your arrogance and your evil heart. You came down to see the battle. What a great closing line from an older brother to his younger brother, right? Now, this passage shows us a whole lot of David's character. This shows us a lot of why God was going to use him, why God was actively pursuing him, and why he was a man after God's heart. And this is our real first introduction to what he's going to do. Earlier, we see a small interaction with David that we'll touch on, but this is the first time we see David now in action, and we see so much of what God is saying. We know that soon he's going to be the one to take on and defeat Goliath, but who really was this man? Who was he? Why did God choose him? What we know about David, David was young. David was very young. In verse 14, it says, David was the youngest son. Now, earlier, a chapter earlier, we see David get met by Samuel. And in, in this interaction, it's, it, we see Samuel show up at Jesse's house, David's dad, and he's there because God told Samuel, God said, one of these boys is going to be the next king. So we have this big interaction now with, with Samuel and Jesse's kids and Jesse being the proud dad. I mean, who wouldn't like being told one day, right, your kid's going to be king? 
can imagine Jesse's excitement. Samuel's like, bring me all the kids. And he brings all of his children forward. But it's none of those kids. None of them. Jesse brings out everyone except David. When Samuel moves past all the sons, he, he then inquires. He's like, There's, God told me, no, it's none of these. Don't you have one more? And Jesse's kind of like, well, there is one guy. But, you know, he's, he's nothing like these. He's, he's the shepherd. He smells like sheep. He's out with the sheep. He's tiny. He's the youngest. We don't really talk about David. Today, we would say we don't talk about Bruno, but we don't talk about David. He's that guy. But Samuel says, I want to see him. And the family's writing him off. Like, you know, he's no big deal. He's not king material. We know him. He's, he, he's our brother. He's my son. We see him every day. This is not the king. But Samuel wants to see him anyway. You see, David being the youngest, he was not as tall, big, strong. He was not king-like like his brothers. And that was a human viewpoint. That was the human standard they'd set for the king. And, but there's a key phrase the Lord says to Samuel during this scene in chapter 16. He says this, The Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or his stature because I have rejected them. Man does not see what the Lord sees, for man sees what is visible. The Lord sees the heart. Have you ever passed judgment on someone before? You, you, you see the car they drive and you immediately have a snap judgment about who they are in that car, why their car looks like that. Just You snap judgment, right? Or you, you, you pull up somewhere and you see someone sitting there and you look at what they're wearing and you're like, I hate that guy because of their jersey, right? <laughs> yeah, we, we have these moments. But, but I love that, that you know, God says it's not about the outward sides. We, that's, that is our first impression but God looks beyond all that and he says, I see what's underneath all those layers. I see the situation. I see you in the midst of this. God sees your heart. This is a, such a powerful statement that God is giving to Samuel. God does not judge people like we do. He looks deeper. He looks at the inside. And, and it makes you wonder if David was chosen even though he was the, the youngest of his brothers because of what was going on internally in David's life, right? Our natural tendency is you know, to judge a book by its cover. We all know the phrase, don't judge a book by its cover. Brutally honest, in a bookstore, I totally judge books by their covers. You know, is that cover enticing me to pick it up and even read what it's about? Or am I just going just gonna to be another title that I read, right? People, uh, people judge things so much, but there's so much more to the book than its cover. There's so much more to people than their appearance. Many of us know what happens when we pass judgment on someone before we really get to know them, right? When I was a senior in high school, uh, we, I had my English class, and, and I was a really good student in school. I got all the A's, and I was, one year I got a five A's and a B plus, and my parents said, oh, Dustin, why didn't you apply yourself? You would have got that last A. Whereas my brothers were told, if you get an A, we'll give you 50 bucks. I, I missed out on that deal. But I remember my senior year in high school, my English teacher, I remember looking at my schedule, and it said, Mrs. Northcutt. She had the reputation at my high school for being the graduation stopper. People would say, her name is called Northcutt because she will cut you out of school. She, it was, I mean, I remember seeing her before she was, in, I, was she, I was even in her class. I remember walking past her in the halls and it was just like, don't make eye contact with her, don't look at her. No one wanted her. And it was, there were students that if you got assigned to her, they would pull out every stop in the book, how do I get out of this class? And so I was terrified. I remember going into that class, and she was very much, this is my class, this is how I grade, and I was thinking this is going to be the worst senior year ever. This class is going to be hard. Then I actually met her, and I got to talk to Mrs. Northcutt. She was awesome. She was so fun. Was she strict? Yes, she was. 
Was the class hard? Yes, it was a hard class. Did she desire to see all of us grow beyond what we had learned and be the best equipped after we graduated to know how to do the English language and conduct ourselves with grammar? Yes. She loved teaching. She loved the students. She had a huge heart to see us succeed. And as I got to know her, I learned that it crushed her when she would fail students. And then as I got to go through her class, I saw that she gave students every single opportunity to get better. Every opportunity to, to, to grow past whatever faults we were going through. If there was something in a paper that, that made it not good, she wouldn't just say fail. She would say, come see me so we can make this better. And then I learned that students wouldn't do it, and then they would fail. She was incredible. She challenged us so many ways, personally, academically. And I developed an awesome friendship with her where a few students and, and friends of mine in school, we actually would go have lunch in her classroom at lunchtime because she was really fun once you got to know her and see her heart for everything. She had this outward appearance of being stern and someone who was out to get you, but once you got to know her, she loved students. She loved her job, and she was probably the best English teacher I ever had in school. It was awesome. That friendship, though, never would have happened if I held on to my initial judgment. If I just sat back and said, this is horrible, I know her reputation, I'm just gonna power through this and Man, I don't want to get to know her. If I held on to that, it would have been a horrible year. My judgment would have been what ruled my conversations, what ruled my direction, my, ruled every interaction I had with her. But because I chose to get to know her, we had a great friendship. It got to the point where uh, she knew that I wanted to be a pastor one day. At that point, it was children's ministry. But she knew that I wanted to be in ministry. And, and through, through uh, MySpace at that time, really old, right? Through, but through MySpace, she would send me a message and say, hey, pray for me, my family's going through this. I was one of her students. It was an awesome relationship that we had. She ultimately went on to do really, really good things and she, when she left the school, it was after I graduated, but I remember being sad that she was leaving just because she was going to a new school and she wouldn't be associated and there if I was ever gonna drop by, which I did from time to time. But it was, it was fun to see her. God doesn't see the outside. God doesn't see the judgmental things that we may see as people. He looks inside because he knows your heart. He sees the inside. And it's consistently brought up in Scripture. We see God choosing to use those people, those who are the youngest, those who are the weakest, those who are the poorest, those who are the, the least educated, those who are the marginalized, those who are forgotten about. This is who God goes to. They're thought poorly of, disrespected, disregarded. God says, I'm going to use them because I don't see those things. I see something so much greater, so much bigger. If you find yourself in one of those categories today, regardless of what culture has defined you as, the Bible makes it clear that God intends to use you in a way bigger than I think you even comprehend. But you're never going to know unless you let God in. Unless you say, God, I know what I think of myself. I know what people say of me. What do you think of me? And let God answer. You'll be blown away with what he wants to do with you. God seems to delight in using the, the weak, the unexpected things of the world to humble the powerful things of the world. And at the end of the day, he does it for his glory and not for ours. Another thing we know about David is David was looked down upon. He was not just looked at a small week, but they, he physically was looked down on and disregarded. Even though God chose to use him for great things, as in this battle with Goliath, it did not stop people from doubting him. Even those people closest to him, did, think of what his brother said to him when he walked to the battle line, right? He's there, hey, I got food for you, got food for your watch commander, um, I'm here to check on you guys. 
And then he starts asking, who is this giant out there? Why is he doing this? And what does his brother say? In the midst of, his brother, in the midst of David's confidence of, I want to do something, his brother says, why did you come down here? Who did you leave those sheep with? Kind of like, this isn't your job. Why aren't you doing your job? I know your arrogance and your evil heart. You just came down to see the battle. Man, Eliab didn't even want David around. David came in. His brother was just like, go, shoe fly, get out of here. You have no reason to be here. And he, I, he says that, I know your evil heart. What's great about that st- sentence is he says he does, but he really doesn't. If God clearly said a chapter earlier, I see David's heart. Eliab was using his outward judgment of David to look at his inward perception. And God does it the other way around. God starts at the inside and says, now we can go out this way. Maybe Eliab felt threatened by him, but it's clear he was caught off guard by his brother there. Either way, it's clear to see that even someone within his own family was looking down on him. He went so far as to call him wicked, hearted, and conceited. Because of his youth, his inexperience, it doesn't go into detail, but we know what he says. It's a tense scene with a reminder that oftentimes we look down on people that are younger than us. We can look down at a young generation, a young person saying, I'm, I want to do this, I'm, I want to be on fire for this, and we can look at him and say, you don't have life experience, you don't know, this is not your place, when God says the opposite, right? In this in mind, um, there's some contrary things Scripture says to what we may perceive about someone being too young to do something. And one of the most popular ones is 1 Timothy 4.12. It says, let no one despise your youth. Instead, you should be an example to the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. In, in, in this letter, Paul is writing to a young leader named Timothy, and Paul seems to understand this because Timothy was indeed young. He said, people are going to look down on you, Timothy. People may cast you aside. People may say, you don't know. You don't have life experience. How old are you? You have no business doing this. But Paul says, set an example in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Even if people talk behind your back, they'll give you reasons why you can't do something for God. But if you conduct yourself this way, you will show them how God is using you and why you are ready for what God's called you to do. That's such a great encouragement. Set that example. Regardless of how others define you or defined him, David knew God chose him for this moment. He was stepping into his calling. He knew something had to be done about this Philistine, and he was stepping up to the challenge. And this was not his first time in a fight like this. Maybe a fight like, like that with a giant. But, but David, as a shepherd, there was a common thing they would do. They would have the slingshot. He knew how to sling rocks. He had to protect his sheep from the predators and, and animals that were out there. So he knew what his training was. As young as he was, he was ready for this moment. And he was about to set an undeniable example of faith and courage to an entire army, <laughs> to two whole armies that would see this fight. David's perspective on the broader situation through the story seemed to be due to his intense focus on the particular place. And we get a glimpse of his mindset. And I think this is so key to knowing the life of David and why he had a heart after God. We see in 1 Samuel 17, David was not focused on what was going on around him. He was not focused on his brother's words. He was not focused on on the atmosphere so much. He was was God-focused. He was very much God-focused in this fight. 1726, when he says this, he says, David spoke to the men who were standing with him. What will be done for the man who kills that Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? And then the second line where he really hits Goliath literally below the belt. Just who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Literally, just kicks him where it counts. It shows us David's focus is not on the army. 
It's not on the opponent. David doesn't refer to Goliath as, as the one who is defying the armies of Saul, the, the armies of Israel. The, the words Goliath is using, right? Aren't you just servants of Saul? He doesn't say, who's defying the armies of Saul? Who's defying this great land of Israel? David says, who is defying the armies of the living God? He is so focused on God right now, nothing else matters. Who is insulting my God? And why are we letting this happen? This shows us why David was a man after God's heart. What would shift in our lives, in, in, our, in our marriages, in our families, in our workplace, in our friendships, if we, remained, if we maintained everywhere we went, we didn't just look at the environment around us, we said, I'm going to have a God focus when I walk into this place. It's not all about the people, not all about the things, it's about what is God allowing me to see and do through these people, with these people, maintaining a God focus at all times. I don't just mean saying we have our sights set on pleasing and honoring in God or only doing things if it aligns with, with our will and ways. We've got to make a decision, as David did, to be focused on his kingdom and immediately recognize it's something about to come against God's kingdom. Not just against me, not just against my preferences, but it's something now coming against what I believe to be the land and the heart that I'm pursuing of the living God. There are always going to be Goliaths in our life. There's always going to be the, the enemy trying to strike fear. But, but I think when that happens, if we believe like David did, that the Almighty God is bigger than these things and more powerful than any giant, that giant doesn't stand a chance. And we get to stand strong knowing God's got our back. So what are these giants? What are the things and situations that make us feel completely inadequate? Maybe you're in here today and, and you are in the, in the younger crowd. And you say, I, I just don't know if, I'm too, too young to do this. I don't know if maybe I'm too young to go on a missions trip. Maybe, maybe I'm, I'm too young to join a, a Bible study and actually talk with, with adults or people older than me. There was a great study that was done about small groups across churches, and you know what it found? Younger people want the advice and expertise from the older people in small groups. That was mind-blowing for me because sometimes I think we have a tendency to say, all right, let's get the more experienced, not older, more experienced people in this group. Let's get all the young people together. But then studies found that, that churches that were really growing and thriving, their groups were mixed with people of all ages because the, the, the older generation wasn't pushing away the younger generation. The younger generation was looking up to the older generation. They all had this God mindset of we're going to look at the inside. What is God doing in our hearts? And they got to share it together, and it was beautiful. How, much, how many giants could we overcome when we do that together? When we all say we've got a God focus, we see each other's hearts, that's what we're looking at, and then we will overcome so many things. Part of what empowered David was his understanding of who he was before God. He understood he was a part of God's people. He was a beloved son. And man, we've got to remain like John 15, 5 says, attached to the vine, attached to the truth, because that defines who we are. I'd like, to, I'd like to invite the worship team up as we come to a, a close this morning. I invite you to, to stand with me as we, we read and, and finish out. John 15, 5 says that, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produce much fruit because you can do nothing without me. This week I want to challenge you guys, stay pressed into God. Like, like really, really pressed into him. And if you don't know what that means, um, come talk to me after church. But I mean pressed into to reading your Bible, having some quiet time, but really pursue him in the midst of the busyness, the midst of the craziness, the midst of the self-doubts you may have of what's going on. Press into him and see what he'll say to you in the, in the face of it all. And remember what God says about you always trumps any lie the enemy or any person could say about you. You are first and foremost a child of God who he loves. 
doesn't matter what anybody else says. Let that be the root that you come down, down to each and every time. And at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, when we overcome these trials, when we overcome the enemies that come in our life, these Goliaths, he gets the glory for it. God used someone so small. I mean, on paper, there's no way David should have beat Goliath. There's no way. But God did that, not just so people would say, wow, this kid, there's something special about this kid, but he did it so people could say, wow, God's doing something special through this kid. It always goes back to him. Amen? God, I thank you for today. I thank you that you are so good, that you get the glory for what we do, that you use, you use the, the unmarginalized, you use the, the people that are, that are broken, cast doubt, looked down upon, God, forgotten about. You use those people to do incredible things, and it always is so it can come back to you. I pray this week as we go through our, our week and whatever challenges may come our way, God, you give us the strength to overcome so we can tell people that you did it. You worked through us. You were in the midst of it all. We see people in a different way because we see them first and foremost as your child. God, that we, we rely on you for everything. So God, be with us this week. Be with us as we glorify you. And I pray that above all else, you are seen in everything we do in our lives. We thank you. We love you. And everybody said, amen. amen.